Hey, everybody. My name is Robert Higgins. And I'm Kay Tuxford, and I already have regrets. And this is episode 124 of Screenwriting from the Trenches, a podcast about the craft and expression of screenwriting in all of its forms. From the perspective of writers just like you. We can we can let that voice go, right? Just, <laughs> you're done. I, I don't know. I might, I might keep it up just during the whole, the <laughs> whole thing, <laughs> just <laughs> to annoy <laughs> you. <laughs> No, wait, no. I, this week I, I we really are happy. Like <laughs> <laughs> so welcome back, my friend and the creator of the Gray List, Brad Johnson. Uh, welcome, Brad. Welcome, welcome. Yeah, glad to be here. Happy to be back. First time with uh, with you though. Okay, so yes, I think I was away shooting something. Uh, yeah. Or in general, not being cool enough to hang out with you guys, but now I am. But anyway, Brad's here. We're going to discuss the gray list for two years running. We're just going to make this an annual thing because that's what the gray list is. So why not? But before we get to that, we are going to discuss, as usual, what the hullabaloo was on Twitter that people were a Twitter about. Take it away, Zach. It's just another day in screenwriting drama, screenwriting drama, screenwriting drama. It's just another day in screenwriting drama. It's another day in screenwriting drama. We're back. So, what's what's I, I first think... up on on the, on our list of of drama this week, K Tuxford? Yeah. So I think the big the big industry news is Paramount Plus and Peacock TV are, I mean, are merging. So which I saw Sean Colin Smith said the ideal combined name should be Paracock, but I don't think that that plus obviously, but I don't think that's going to be what they settle on, but, but a uh, good brainstorming session. Good job, Sean. Hmm. <clears throat> so I don't know if you have any thoughts about this. What about Mountcock? Mountcock. Well, that's just a different streaming service altogether. <laughs> We have some really disappointed subscribers who are like, why is it just starting? coming to um, Mount Cock? Yeah, I think it's I think I think they're you know, one of them is going to dominate over probably by the end. It'll just be like plus or something just like max. Right. So whatever it is, it'll be a weird business merger decision name. I think it's I think this is just a product we are seeing of the streaming where we had this big balloon and now it's consolidating in some of this way. And Paramount Plus was never really doing fantastic. And then Peacock was kind of a wild west. So it, it seems like maybe somebody's like, hey, let's have one crazy streaming service instead of two. No, I remember there was an earnings call. I think it was either for one of these two services. It was the strike. Yeah, and they were like, they were like, it's why are we plus. fighting so hard for fifth place? There, you know what I mean? Like, just. <laughs> but you know what? This is so funny because I think that what we're seeing, and this is going to be hilarious because everything goes in cycles. So we're literally going back to a place where before, when we were growing up, we had three channels. And we're going to have three streaming services that are basically going to be our three channels. And they'll cover, like, they'll have an umbrella of things, but it'll basically be three brands. And because I think Disney is going to get bought by Apple. And so you have, it'll be Apple Disney. And then it'll be Amazon, whatever. 
Amazon Max, Amazon. maybe. Yeah. You know, and then you'll have Netflix. Netflix Yeah. will always be Netflix. So it'll just be, and the, the rest of these sort of like, whatever streaming services will just go the way of the dodo and their content will be spread across multiple services. And... I mean, I don't disagree that we're going to continue to see more consolidation. I think what's interesting, like I've been talking to folks who have more like niche interests, like I, I'm sorry, sports fans calling sports fans niche interests, but like ESPN, you know, may get covered in one of those big things, but there are like, there's that or like the dropout app I love. criterion channel like they do have those i think those might live on because they, they kind of have their own fan base or following unless they get like folded into like a big netflix or, or disney but you know we'll see i mean I, I don't love it but that seems to be the way it's going Well, there's already, excuse me, there's already talk out there of some of that happening with like ESPN and Fox Sports and and TNT trying to put together their own merged sports app, Yeah, in, exactly. in effect, creating a sports channel, to Rob's point. But, uh, That's true. That is yeah, true. but then still, wouldn't that be under the Disney banner? It depends. I know Disney, Disney they could owns both if they... Fox If... and ESPN. Well, that's true. So it would Well, be just it's, it's more of whether they would put it on the, the Disney app Disney and app. or whether it would be a standalone piece. Yeah, but I think if that if like I said, if they did that, it would make them very much more attractive to Apple, which sort of you know with the with the invention of Apple TV, you know the the app, they can then sort of own Boardwalk and Park Place where they're on your phone, they're on your computer, and then they can own they've got all your Disney content, you know of the of the the streaming services that signed up to be a part of Apple's new headset. Disney was the first to sign on board. So Right. I feel like, and you know, with their hardware, the merging of their hardware and the content is where it's at. And it'll just be an attractive thing for for Disney to just sort of like buy up, I mean, for, uh, for Apple to just buy up so that they just own that stuff. And it's much, you know, and Disney has that sort of family-friendly content that they sort of, ride the line on like they're very much apple's very much in that that proper kind of you know they're not really so much with the the nudity so much as they are with you know that's you know content that keeps the sexuality to a minimum and i think disney's just a perfect fit for them more so than hbo max or netflix so Yeah, because I like my nudity, and so I get plenty of that in, like, Max and stuff like that, right so, yeah. So I think Disney And Netflix, just feels Netflix like a, is not a above fit. it, yeah. Yeah, and... Maybe, I guess the question is, 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 well, I don't even want to think about these mergers. I think you're right, but I don't like it, so Three channels I'm sticking my, coming down to yeah. it. Countdown three. <laughs> uh, So, so let's let's do something also fun for writers is yesterday recording this the weekend before it comes out. Uh, cover five pitch week is people got their announcements. There was some folks I saw that are getting into pitch week. So I just wanted to shout a big congratulations out there. Br
Yes, I, yes. I am as well. <laughs> I got my rejection <laughs> email. Yeah, we all got our rejection emails. I, I just wanted to say I was, I was seeing a little bit of buzz about it, which is, I'm not surprised, which is in the past couple years, they've been pretty robust on the amount of companies they had and pitches. And this year was the smallest amount of companies and people they brought into pitch week ever. And I think that has a little bit more to do with the state of the industry than like the quality of the work or the people they can bring in. I think, you know, we're in a really, we're in a squeeze. And so, and you know, fire. I said squeeze. You, you elevated <laughs> you can't call everything a dumpster fire no the the industry itself is a dumpster fire but we're going to get into that just you know let's yes yeah yes so anyway just congratulations and and if you didn't get in don't worry you're in the best company here with rob myself and brad and we're the coolest people we know so you can be part of the cool kids club and good luck to the people who did get in and then I thought this one would be good for you, Rob. Madam Webb is not doing so hot. No, it, it, people, I've, I've, I've rarely seen the, uh, the gleeful malevolence that folks have been taking to this movie. This is just a free for all out there. I've been watching reviews and it, I've been laughing all day. These people are 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 tearing this movie apart. It didn't help that Dakota Johnson went on, you know, went the rounds in in terms of the junket, and she clearly was not enjoying herself. Yeah, and, I think at one point she was quoted saying, "It's like AI made a movie for your boyfriend." Wow, they should have put it on the poster and leaned under that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but she hates it. Everybody seems to hate it, and. Then you, you you hear the reviews that apparently there's just garbage level ADR, like they didn't even try to hide it, or it seems like they didn't even make an effort to hide it, that the villain was so heavily rewritten in post that they just put different words over top of words that he's clearly saying. Ooh. Like... It's it's so is bad. It like, is it like when you're watching like a censored movie on TV and they're just like, darn it. And you're like, well, that's not what they said. In the I, I've heard it compared to like Rita Repulsa from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. That's Whoa. how bad the ADO. <laughs> like when you say Rita Repulsa, like anybody who's watched Power Rangers, you know what I mean? When you look at like that, that opening scene of Rita Repulsa coming out and she's like, She's opening her arms and she's saying, I have been freed. And you can tell that's clearly not what she said. You know what I mean? Because it's been overdubbed from Super Sentai. It's just, it, it's so bad. This movie has been trashed so bad. I'm almost tempted to put down money to see it. Like, at least it's a $7 Tuesday. Something where I can yeah. just go in and just trash the fucker. And it's just a hate watch. You know what I mean? I'm tempted. I'm tempted. Okay, Tuxford. Yeah, I don't even know if it would be a hate watch for me. I think I would just, I kind of, I kind of have just a sick pleasure and joy when a movie goes so wrong, you know, especially when it's like in production and post, because oftentimes people are like story, 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 character, 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 but bad ADR alone, you've got me. I love that. So maybe that's just a special, I don't even know if I'd hate it. I mean, I, I I wouldn't be a good movie, but it may be mm. a good movie watching experience. I heard that the one of the reviews I watched said said <laughs> Madam Webb makes Morbius look like Spider Man Two. 
Wow. I, I mean, the, the only, I mean, the, the, the real downside here is I also saw that there's been kind of a response already to Madam Web, which is the Silk series just fired everybody but the showrunner. And now they're going to turn it more into a male focused show. So that was the problem. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's just like, Ooh, ah. So, so, you know, Madam Web has hurt many people. Who haven't even seen Madam Web? Here's the take that nobody that I haven't seen from anybody yet, and that is that, and I don't feel any bad if I say anything bad been saying this. Sony has always been kind of a dumpster fire of a studio. Like we all remember their leak of emails that went out and proved that oh. they were a dumpster fire of a studio. Everybody remembers the Sony leak. But this is yeah. I mean, we thought it was North Korea, and it was just a disgruntled, right. upset employee, which makes a lot more sense. Right. But when you hear like the people aren't putting together how bad Sony is as an actual movie studio, like they can't even handle their own properties. Think about this for a fact. For for a fact, they've done really bad with the with the Spider Man properties, like Venom, Woe, Venom Web. Morbius, okay, fine. But think about the properties that they actually own, like Uncharted. That's a Sony property. It's a Sony game. Comes from Sony PlayStation. Atrocious. Atrocious. It's absolutely terrible. Made no money. And <laughs> flopped. That's their own property. That's their own IP. They couldn't get right. They literally had access to it. It wasn't like it was a rights thing. Like, we can't get this from the game. It's their own game. It's their own fucking game. And they screwed it up. Same thing with The Last of Us. They spent a ton of time and a ton of money and a, as a bunch of iterations. And the game and the, the iterations were so bad that they were trying to make that the creator of the game literally sat and, and just and dug his and just like and hoped that they would just quietly go away. You know, because <laughs> he didn't want that terrible redheaded stepchild. Out in the world okay. representing his property. He was just like, please let this just go away. Because this is so bad. He got notes like, we've got to make Ellie more sexy. What? Ellie, the 14-year-old girl. We gotta make her more <laughs> in the in the dystopian. When, they, when, when the last of us was a movie, when they were trying to do the movie version of the, I know, of the last of I know, us. I know. It's Ooh. so awful. And I, when you hear the stories of like them not being able to get their own fucking properties right, it's hilarious to me that The Last of Us is an HBO property now, owned by Sony. HBO property, because they can't get it right. They're terrible. They're terrible. And this is just the latest in, in, a, in a long sort of, when's the last time you saw a movie from Sony? Like I saw the trailer for, for Ghostbusters, the new one. And I was like, whoa. This is the Ghostbusters 2 of the new series. Maybe we should check in on Sony and be like, are you okay? <laughs> Maybe Sony's going through some rough times and we've been critical. And It's Sony so bad, man. It's like it's, yeah. it's like bad, good movies happen there by accident. It really is. It feels like that. Well, like, I, I'm going to argue so many good movies happen by accident all over this town. That's true. But yes. 100%. But, but Sony's not helping. So I don't know. In terms of, I don't want to shit on Madam Web and like, you know, More because than you I'll, have. right. Yeah. Well, no, it like, I don't want to shit on the people who made the movie. No, like, of course not. Because, 
you know, there are, pop, there are plenty of people who put their heart and their soul in, you know, whatever and stuff like that. I can't speak to the talent like Dakota Johnson, you know, who whether or not she showed up for work or not. I wasn't there. Can't speak to that. But I can tell you this. There's an obvious level, just from what I'm hearing about the movie, of studio fuckery that is so evident that it has literally made itself present in the ADR. That's how deep the fuckery goes. Anyway. Okay. Well, that was the first soapbox of the the <laughs> episode. More to come on that. Okay, but let us jump in and talk to Brad, who they're all here for, because they hear us every week. We're not we're not special anymore. Brad, welcome, welcome very much to the show, and thank you for returning here and sharing your wisdom for the that, people. That's setting the bar a little high, but I, I appreciate the faith. I I'm I'm trying I'm trying. It's the hair. He's got this beautiful like flowing mane of hair. Like I see, feel like there's just screenwriting wisdom in every lock. For the people who can't see it, it's it's quite excellent. I don't know. Was it is it pandemic grow out or you just decided it was time? It wasn't pandemic grow out, but I I had I think it's trying to recapture my youth a little bit. Nice. I also have a p pandemic grow out, and at this point, like it's almost like down to my waist, and I'm like. And I turn to people, I'm like, should I cut my hair? And then everyone's like, no, don't do it. I can't grow my hair that long. So I, I think I'm keeping it long for the people at this point <laughs> to live vicariously. Yes, the people. <clears throat> the people. <laughs> um, anyway, so so let's, let's pretend our listeners missed a little bit. Maybe they didn't get your episode last time. And a quick recap. Talk to us about what is the gray list? What's, what's the gray list and, and what... If you were to open up the gray, gray list, what would we find on there? So I think the, the easiest way to describe the gray list is just that as a, as a curated list that's really looking to spotlight writers that are over the age of 40 that have high quality production ready scripts, whether pilots or, or features. And the, the goal is really just to, to shine a light on those the stories on those writers, and at the same time, draw some attention to the ongoing issue of ageism in the entertainment industry, which is still out there and is kind of still one of the final, quote unquote, acceptable reasons to to not hire somebody. Straight up. Yeah, I mean, I come at it from a place of, uh, obviously, I'm over 40, so there's a little bit of selfish <laughs> in, intent in, in highlighting this issue. But I think ultimately, you know, we have a, a little saying with the gray list, which is that creativity has no expiration date. And I couldn't believe in that more and anything that we can do to try to to help writers that are that have taken longer to to break in, whether because of just the path of their life or they had a first career and now they're moving on to a, a second career uh, or returning to writing. You know, there's. There's no reason that they can't be successful in the industry and they're tell out there telling great stories and we just want to help get eyes on them. I love it, especially because I am now over 40. I just turned 40 this year and I don't feel expired. So yeah, in fact, I, I was just talking about Definitely it was this. last year. It was last year. Yes, that's true. Uh, this is my, this will be my 41st year. But, you know, I was talking to somebody, I was like, 
and and I had a little bit of ego while I said this. So, you know, I was like, listen, like I've been writing for like 18 years now since I got out of film school. I'm teaching. I'm reading scripts every day. Like I'm like my writing routine is like that of an Olympian or thoroughbred, you know, and and they, people are telling me they just want a pony, you know, which it's not necessarily the case, but, but anyway, I was like, these people are, some of these people that are, you know, over 40 are like, they are, they, they have business acumen experience. Their writing is top notch. Like they're, they're rearing and ready to go. And they were, you know, I'm a much better writer now than I was in, you know, when I was 23 and fresh out of film school. Yeah. And I, I think there's, there's an interesting dichotomy in place with the industry where you always hear stories about, you know, if you're writing about if you're writing about a, a lawyer or a law firm and you have real life experience as a lawyer, like that's that's great and can get you in the room and 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 studios or managers are are looking for like what do you bring from your real life that that adds a value to the story you're telling. But at a very general level, I think that applies to writers in our in our age group as well, just because you've got more life experience. Absolutely. And you're bringing that kind of unique perspective and the the value and lessons learned just through a life lived, which is going to inform your writing as well. And and for whatever reason, that val that uh, that kind of experience doesn't seem to have the same kind of value in the eyes of those making the decisions. Well, like writing is about empathy, right? Is it like you even if you are writing? Yeah, even if you are writing the most dis despicable characters you know if you're writing a darth vader you know that sort of a character you've got to be able to have sympathy for the devil you've got to understand where that person is coming from you know to be able to as a writer to have the kind of empathy where you can turn around and write a movie where darth vader is the hero like you know what i mean you have like that's that's the kind of empathy that you have to have as for as a as a writer for your characters any of your characters, even the most indefensible ones, you should be able to, I feel, turn around and write the version of this story where they are the hero. And, they think they are, yeah. Right, exactly. That they think they are, even if it's for, right, even if it's for fake, like you turn around and reveal, or they, you know, they reveal to themselves that they've been doing this for selfish reasons. You know, you know that they, you've got to be able to Walter White it, you know what I mean? You've got to be able to do that kind of shit. And I don't know that I was capable personally of that. Even when I, like when I started writing, you know, at, I mean, I may have been a writer my whole life, but when I started writing screenplays, I was 17. And I don't know that I had that kind of, you know, flexibility in terms of, or, or just, you know, be able, the ability to be able to have that much empathy for people. But, you know, after being married and a father of three and having other jobs and having to to not murder co-workers um <laughs> while having adult jobs people should get more praise for not murdering their co-workers right Absolutely. All, you know, i've not murdered so many people yeah so, so you know and then i you know well i do in, in print but anyway, the, the, the point of that is that, like, I have not murdered so many people. And that's because I'm able to be, you'll be like, you know what? Maybe he's just having a bad day. You know, maybe he just, he's not getting any. And his, his, he, he and his wife are fighting. 
And he's just coming in and using his middle management power on someone that he can control. And that's just the way he's getting his kicks right now. And so it's not worth me catching a charge. It just isn't. It's not. That's not worth me going to jail and being separated from my family. It's just not. But there I am. I'm empathizing with the guy. So I don't murder stab. And after doing that for, you know, 20 plus years, I think I, I'm pretty empathetic in terms of, of, of you know, being able to write characters, where they're coming from, how they see the world, and being able to step on other people's eyes. Because I haven't murdered so many people. I uh, we If you wind up, wind up murdering somebody, <laughs> we will use this episode to be like, I don't know, he says he hasn't murdered a lot of people. A so. lot of people, yeah. Yeah, statistically This guy won. must have really and fucking deserved it. Like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, but let's let's get back to Brad and the Grey List and not your non-murder spree. So you're a writer, obviously. You you now do you write mainly feature screenplays or TV? What do you what do you like to work on? I'm primarily a features writer. I love a good features writer. I like TV as well. I'm not here to alienate my TV folk, but features if there's something so nice about it, because when you hit fade out, you're like, and we're done with that. You know, at least in some way, you come back and revise, but like that part of the story's done. Nobody can say, well, what happens in the next one? And I'm like, there is no next one. It is done. There um, is no next versus... one. Only Zool. Yes. So I, I love I love the completion feeling. So so talk to me a little bit about your career, like you as a screenwriter, you know, doing you know, what made you kind of jump into this business and go, I want to be a screenwriter. And you know, how to, tell me about your path. Well, I think it's, you know, like a lot of people, there's an experience pretty early on in my life where you fall in love with movies and just the form, the art form in, in general. For me, that was Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's the first movie I saw in the theater and I left and it's it's been all obsession with movies ever since then. But I didn't really realize... That's a, that's a good explanation. Okay. <laughs> but I didn't really realize that screenwriting was a thing that people did probably until until the end of high school, beginning of college, which was, you know, like, I think like a lot of people, Same, when, yeah. the indie, when the indie film scene was really bursting out in the 90s. And, mm -hmm. you know, I went and the first book, the first screenplays I ever read were when I went to Barnes & Noble and bought uh, three screenplays by Ed Burns and kind of really started to wrap my head around the the format and the fact that this was a thing. And really started trying to 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 do it, and then life happened, as it does for people. And you get you get careers, and you have kids, and you have other things that require your attention. And yeah, great things. Yeah, I'm gonna say great, awesome things, but things you wouldn't trade, but things that that are a a branch off of the the path that you thought you were on. Yeah, and then I've tried to get back on that path, not without getting too into the details of my of my personal life. I tried to get back on that path a, a few times and and been derailed. Most recently, was I think when Rob and I were having a conversation in 2019, where he said, "Start writing because next year you're making a short film." And I did say that. He did, and started writing and was moving forward, motivated by my friend. And then the pandemic happened, and so a short film in 2020 did, did not did not occur. Well, <laughs> oh, I think man. that's understandable. As somebody who did do a short film in 2020, it was a shit show. You did not miss anything. 
I did one, but it was right before the pandemic. It was like, I remember because I had a whole feature planned out and we shot the first part of it because we were supposed to shoot them all in vignettes. And so every section was basically a short film and we shot one and then pandemic. And then so that, was, that, was, that, was that was the end of that. But, you know, I, you know, I think, you know, Brad in terms of, you know, like he was struggling. I think a lot of people can sort of can wrap around because he was struggling with the day job and how much his passion was not necessarily overtaking it, but it was just like trying to find that place where, you know, you can be a not a not a working artist, but an but an art, but an arting artist. You know what I mean? Where you're trying to yeah. art in the middle of also supporting your family and being, you know, having that day job, which, you know, when you've reached like a certain sort of way where people don't necessarily see you as an artist, but you, but mm -hmm. that artist has been there the whole time and you're being like, yeah, I'm trying to do this stuff. And people are like, yeah, you'll be fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I think that also sort of ties into the ageism of like, you know, where people go, well, you know, you know, this, this, you know, you missed that, didn't you? And you're like, no, fuck you. I feel like I'm in a better place now as a writer than I've ever been. You know what I mean? I'm, right. I'm, I'm here. I'm doing, I'm writing this stuff. And I, this is stuff that I could not write back then, but I'm, I'm right here ready to do this stuff. And people are like, you're good. You're fine. That's not for you. That's a young well, person's just... game. And it's like, why? Who says that? Who made that rule? Fuck you. Yeah. That's like saying that you can't go and get a, you know, a new job midway through your life, a train for something. So many people stop the job that they thought they were going to do their whole lives in their 30s, go back to school, and by their 40s or 50s are working an entirely different career. It happens all the time. And but but I think art gets this it gets this bad rap that it's like, well, if no one's paying you for it, you must not be good instantly. And, you know, if you can't pay the bills with it, then you're not really an artist. And well, I, think I, that's, I, think, I don't know that it's also that. I think it's also about, you know, the, the idea that fresh ideas cannot come from older writers. I think that's yes. I think that's another thing where they feel like the young people themselves, like the younger you are, the fresher your ideas are. Fuck you. I have all kinds of fresh ideas. You like, you know what I mean? And I think Brad was the exact same way where it's just like, you know, you see, you know, people are just, they don't, they won't hire you because they'll, they'll you know, they feel like you don't necessarily bring or won't bring fresh ideas to the room where it's just like, that's just, that's just plain old ageism where it's like, you know what I mean? Just because you've got the most experience in the room doesn't necessarily mean that you won't come up with a fresh perspective. I think that means that you're probably the most likely to come up with a fresh perspective. Be like, I know how we've done it. That being said, maybe we shouldn't do it that way. Like you've seen the holes in the system and you can just like, let's restructure this so that we can do this in a way that is that's, that's better or more efficient. But that people don't assume that that's going to come from the from a voice of experience. Yeah, I mean, I feel like like if you look at jobs like apprentice programs and stuff, it's like a completely different type of work situation mm -hmm. where where, you know, my uncle is a plumber, was a plumber. He passed recently, but in Chicago and like he's trained up all these plumbers and he worked on, I think, a White Sox stadium and stuff and, all you know, all these 
more complicated plumbing situa uh, situations in, in these buildings in Chicago. And he retired and they were still calling him because they're like, you have the most experience. You know these things like the back of your hand. Like, give us all your knowledge because, you know, we need to give the next, you know, the next generation of plumbers there you know that all that knowledge and instead it seems like in in the creative and especially in screenwriting it's the somehow you're a drained empty husk uh, and the experience and all that sort of yeah. stuff isn't isn't yeah. something that you can pass on or you don't have it yeah rather than being viewed as as something that's additive mm -hmm. it's viewed, yeah it, it's it's viewed like car's gas tank where you know the long like you're 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 depleting as you go right and so the older you get like the closer to empty you are like that's how creativity uh or talent actually works right which is which is we know that's bullshit but it's treated like that yeah exactly what okay so so you you got you've been you've been kind of back and and re re reclaiming your art and your artistic side which i think is lovely and and then you looked and said, ageism in this town is still rampant. And tell me a little bit about what you were seeing and kind of what led to the gray list. Well, I think it was a, it was a combination of things. I got to a point probably in like 2018, 2019, where I just got fed up with, <laughs> with constantly seeing top 30 under 30 lists. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like here, here, if I saw another top 30 under 30, like as or even the ones that didn't have that name and it was just screenwriters to watch and they're almost invariably like in their 20s or early 30s nothing against any of those writers i'm sure they're all super talented but it's the the exclusive focus on on that age group as being where the future of the industry lay looking at you um, the blacklist you know so it was it was seeing that out there and then also kind of noticing that a lot of these other initiatives or programs that are out there that are meant to to focus and target underrepresented groups which are 100% needed and 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 valuable and I'm glad that they all exist but they do tend to when they're listing out the groups of un, the segments of unrepresented writers that they're looking to put a spotlight on most of them were not making any mention of of ageism in terms of of mm -hmm. how they were looking to tackle it and so I just kind of all of that kind of broiled together and I thought that this was an idea worth pursuing to at the very least see if people would be interested in submitting and if you put out a list would there be any would there be any interest from from the community or from the industry in that kind of thing and it was a, a worthwhile experiment if nothing else. So okay so you said let's let's put out this list and last year was your first list right? Yeah. So how'd it go? I, the, the response was really, really good. I mean, we had tons of downloads of the PDF. I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 25,000 downloads for the PDF. Tens of thousands of visits to the website. Lots of reader requests for the scripts. Uh, exposure for the writers. I know we've had at least one writer who contribute who who attributes being on the list as yeah. having as having elevated his script in attention in like the profile that his script had, and now he has a director and producer attached to it. So we've we've had some success stories. I think for a first year, 
especially it was it was extremely successful and successful and we're just looking to build on that uh going as we get close to to year two and going forward yeah i i think i i noticed you know this year or or the end of last year when people were nominating folks i noticed that there was buzz on several platforms i saw facebook roadmap talking about it I saw, uh, you know, it definitely being talked about on Twitter. I'm not sure about Blue Sky because I haven't been on there that much, but I'm sure they liked it there as well. But uh, I definitely felt like it was more prominent this year and more people were talking about it. And, and I know you partnered with Ash's stunt list where you guys are kind of helping promote each other's list, right? Yeah, I mean, Ash was a huge help with the first year. I, I honestly, before, when I was even considering the idea, he had essentially, just launched the first year of the stunt list so i so i reached out to him and just kind of asked him for advice like how did you do this what were the steps you went through what were the pitfalls that you hit and he was super generous with like his time and his enthusiasm and his willingness to help promote it even to the point where like for that first year i didn't have a website at that point and he was like put it up on the stunt list website we'll host you for the first year just so it can so it can be out there and people have a place to go so like literally this this wouldn't exist without without his support and we'll always be super grateful to him for that and we continue to try to promote and retweet and share each other's initiatives and and community outreach as much as we can. I love that. Okay, so here's something I really like about the gray list is that you know, if you look at some of the other annual lists that come out, like Bloodlist or Coverfly's Red List is pretty big, or the Blacklist that comes out every year, you can't, you as a writer don't get to really help anybody. You know, you can, you can, you know, pass your script to your reps and hopefully they kind of, you know, campaign for you and, you know, maybe, you know, get people to vote for your script, which is, you know, it's pretty political. The red list, you have to enter all these contests, even like make it into these percentages high enough to be on the red list. So especially if you're, you know, a writer on a budget, that's pretty yes. rough sometimes because some of these contests are very small and they can get really pricey. I, people drop sometimes, I think we've talked about it, Rob, thousands of dollars per year on contests. So it's, it's oh, an expensive yeah. list Easy. to try to make. Yeah. And I think what I like about this and I also enjoy uh, is that it's nominations. So people who've already read your script, who are writers who are in the business can nominate you. And you can, you can literally go to Brad's website fill out a form and nominate a script. I think it's closed for the year, yeah. but um, when it's open, you know, it can be done. And I think what's really nice about that is like, I'm really not the world's like most in love with contest readers person because it's, you know, it's the readers are working on a deadline. They're inundated with scripts. They're tired. They're probably underpaid. You know, they're going to be looking at this pile going, I got to get through it. Not, I want to have an enjoyable experience. But when I pass my script to other writers, they tell me all the time, they're like, oh my God, I had a great evening, you know, sitting and, you know, with a tea and drinking your script and this line here, it was a good time where I don't know if a reader is going to have that feeling because they're so under so much pressure. 100%. And I think that's that all of those things that you were just talking about <laughs> went into, into, into shaping like how I approached it. One, I wanted an extremely low barrier of entry. This is, I think, and it's really important to point out, like this is not, a, the gray list is not a contest. 
-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't cost anything to enter and there is no, there is no winner, right? right. There are plenty of amazing scripts that aren't going to be on the gray list. And it's not because they weren't good scripts. It was solely because when you're getting, you know, this year for, for year two, we had almost 800 nominations during our window and it was about 250, 275 unique scripts within that. And you just, you can't put out a, a PDF of 275 scripts because right? no one will, no one will read it. And then you just get lost in the, you can't see the trees for the forest kind of, kind of place. But I wanted anyone to be able to, to nominate and to hear from the community, you know, have it be as, as community sourced as, as possible. Yeah, I absolutely uh, sort of agree with that because it's much nicer to be nominated by your peers than any sort of faceless, you know what I mean? You see so many folks like, you know, posting their bad reviews from the blacklist where they didn't understand something that's, you know, that seems something like they should have learned in elementary school or, you know, they were just completely insensitive. But the sort of the the whole thing of, of saying, I enjoyed this. I think that this is a great piece of craft. And a, as a craftsperson, I would like to uplift this. I think is a much better way to sort of, is a much better feeling, I think, of validation. But also yeah. like, you know, if you're, if if you have, a, like to use your early med med metaphor, K Tuxford, if you have a bunch of plumbers looking at your sink going, God damn, this guy did a great job. You know what I mean? That's probably a pretty good fucking sink. I've been at round tables where managers have said this and they were just being blunt. I don't think they were being rude, but the whole point for a manager or an agent is to find someone that they can make money off of, right? And they have longer to make money off of someone who is in their 20s than they do off of someone who is in their 50s. That is a, you know, if they're going to put the time into developing their career and trying to sell their stuff, uh, sometimes it just comes down to a numbers game for them. At least that's how they, that's how they look at it. When it comes to writers rooms or or studios and features i think if you wanted to be a little pessimistic about it you could say that they see older writers as harder to control mm -hmm. because they're they're less willing to to take bullshit or be scared that they're gonna be fired or get retribution for speaking up or something like that so I could see, I'm not saying that is the case for any particular people, but I could see that being something that whether it's on the top or just subconsciously like impacts the the perception and the decision-making process when it comes to, to who gets worked with. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. I, I did think about this recently and I think it's, there is this element, this is me donning like a conspiracy hat. All right. And I'm not going to say I'm right. But I think there's like there's two elements I've noticed and I'm I'm a woman and an older woman now in the industry, which is number one, like when I first started out young, I did all the stupid shit. I wrote for free. I went to every meeting I took, you know, I, I gave everybody my time. I optioned and shopping agreement stuff for, you know, a dollar for free. You know, I did all of that stuff because I wanted people to like me and I wanted, you know, my foot in the door. But as I got older, 
you know, I would get the same sort of offers. And I said, no, that doesn't benefit me at all. And I've noticed that I don't get those sort of offers anymore, but they weren't really anything, you know, to write home about. So I think there is that element of, oh, I can't manipulate this person. This person's already kind of like run through the, the, the gamut of bullshit that happens in this town and they're not going to bend over backwards for me. Yeah. And I think the other thing I've noticed is when I've been on meetings and stuff, I tend to, if I am the older person, I sometimes, you know, especially if you have like a junior manager or, you know, a, a younger development exec or something like that, they're fresh from college or you know, maybe grad school and they're in their like maybe mid twenties and taking their first step in town. And I'm already like 15 years older than them, uh, have been here longer. And, you know, I'm not like being mean or anything, but, you know, even sometimes I compare a movie that they haven't seen yet because it came out, you know, when they were, you know, when they were 15, you know, so there is sometimes there is like a, an age gap where, you know, I think it, whether they're, we're aware of it or not, kind of changes the di dynamic in a meeting. Yeah, and I, and I think that that dynamic—that's that's, not—I think that's spot on. It's also not unique to the entertainment industry, right? Like you go you go into any corporate world, and when you get to a certain point, if you're trying to switch jobs or go into a new field, you're going to be running into the fact that like you're probably going to be older than the person you would be reporting to. Yeah, and, and for some people, that is uncomfortable as the manager. And you can, especially, I think, as Hollywood itself has gotten more corporate in terms of who's buying the studios and who's making the decisions, I think that culture has, or that perspective has, has come over even more so into, into how they're being, how those decisions are being made in the entertainment industry. I think to both your points, as you get older, or I guess I should probably just put it in my perspective, as I have gotten older, I've be, just become much more aware of the opportunity cost of things. And like, if I'm doing this for free, then that's time I can't spend doing something else and right. having to weigh that and decide whether it's worth it or not. And usually, usually it's not if it's for free. My, I don't mind. There's one person I'll write for free every time, which is myself and everyone else has to pay up. And so I always just sit there and like, when somebody's asking me to do something free, is it, would I be willing to work on that instead of one of my other projects I'm excited about. And generally the answer is probably no, unless I'm being paid. Yeah. Yeah. I think I so, so I want to, I want to turn this on its head a little bit because, you know, the one thing I love about the gray list is it's much more of a celebration than an admonishment of the town or the industry, you know, just how the, the nominations work where we're, you know, peers are lifting us up and, uh, you know, folks up and telling them about, you know, this is well-crafted, you have the skills. I was just, just, just to prep for this, deciding to like, what, what's one of my favorite movies and how old was the person who wrote it? Right. And of course, obviously a couple of years ago, not a couple of years, like, like a decade ago, we definitely had one of our oldest best screenplay nominees, which was David Seidler with the King's speech who was in his seventies. So that, you know, and I, I, I wanted to bring up this story because this is a classic situation of here's this person who had talent, had been doing stuff in the industry for a while. He put the King's speech on as a play and an agent went to see the play and was like, who's his rep? And he's like, I'm not even repped, right? 
because he's an older guy and maybe nobody saw that you know in him and but i think by the time act two was done he had a rep and two years later he had a an academy award and it's just an example i think i want to put out there of you can have a great story and it has nothing not nothing to do with your age but the ages didn't really enter into it i don't i think most people who saw that movie did not know the writer was in his 70s no and that's kind of the point right like if you don't right. know that it, like the age of the writer doesn't impact your enjoyment of of the film at all so why would it make a decision in terms of whether or not that writer that script is being bought or read or you know getting through and I think that story also, I didn't, I didn't know that about the play. So that's really interesting, but I think it ties into Rob's philosophy of make your shit, right? Like, which is like, yeah, he, he went out and made the play because no one wanted his script, you know, and it did okay for him. It did. Yeah, exactly. He seems like, he seems like it was a, it was a good choice for him. I also looked up, so one of my favorite films is The Princess Bride and Goldman was well into his forties when he wrote that. So I, I love to look up to him as well, because if you read his book, which light, not which light did I tell, Adventures in the Screenplay, and then he had a sequel, which light did I tell, he was constantly getting rejections in his early writing career. Rob, do you have any favorite movies written by somebody older than 40 at the time? Well, I think I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of my favorite stuff is done by Tony Gilroy, who didn't really get into the, like, he didn't really get his start until he was in his 40s. I and, was going to bring Tony Gilroy up as well, yeah. Yeah, Tony Gilroy it didn't get, you know, he didn't direct Michael Clayton until he was 50 or, or something like that. And Michael Clayton was sitting around for years, but he got his real his real start in the screenwriting when he was in his forties. Tony Gilroy is like some people; he's on their Mount Rushmore of screenwriters. You know what I mean? That dude's no slouch. He's fucking good. He's yeah. like you know my one of my if not my favorite screenplay or at least the screenplay that I that I measure myself up to is Michael Clayton. That was written after that man was in his forties. So well, I mean, just look at Andor as well, right? Like everyone was raving about Andor. The man's in his sixties now, and right. he didn't run out. Of, he didn't run out of ideas. Yeah. Right. If anything, if anything, you're like, I think he might be able to do anything now at this point. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's like, hitting like a Super Saiyan mode. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think what's lovely about that, and again, I we have lots of really young folk as examples too. But there's there's as you said, there's no age limit on creativity, and these people are killing it, and they they are you know they're over forty and they're not stopping. And I think I think what's interesting, you were saying, sorry, Brad, I'm using this to like speculate, but it's interesting that a rep would sit there potentially and go, okay, you're in your twenties, which means I get a longer time of a paycheck. But you know, I also think like you know there is something to be said about productivity. And I do, I don't think I was nearly as productive as I am now in my 20s. I would write a script, fuss over the script. I would get feedback of it. It might take me a whole year to get like one script produced. And now I'm definitely getting out like three or more a year of projects. And because I've, 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 I've learned to be more efficient. I've learned the things my brain will do and catch myself on them. So I think it's interesting that the rep is th sitting there thinking I'm going to make more money because maybe not. 
Yeah, no, I, I was a little surprised as well. I'm not going to name any names, but it was at one of the round tables at Austin. Um, so it was a, a pretty well known and established. And, you know, we were going around the table and my question for him was just that, like, do you, do you think it's, it, it is actually harder? Cause it's always like, you want proof of concept, right? Right. It was like, do you actually believe that it's harder to, to break in as a writer? And he was like, if you're over 40 and he's like, yes. And here's why. It's like, I'm not trying to be mean, but this is going to be the attitude of a lot of a lot of the people that you run into if you're looking for representation is I'm going to have to sink years into like developing you and getting you out there and selling you. And if you're already, you know, in your 40s or 50s or over that, like, how many years do I actually have to have you as a client and make money off of you? Which I think is just such bullshit. And that's why we do the list. And that's why we do, that's why the list is important. And I think, I think what's nice about the list is it just goes back to, you know, the Holy Grail, the thing, uh, you know, I'm not a religious person, but I do have one religion and it's story, which is what I think we all come back to. A good story gets me every time, whether I'm a part of it or I'm listening to it, I'm in like Flynn, like my brain just, it eats it up. And I think it's nice because it brings it back. It peels it back to here are some great stories and they come from here. And I think, I think that's ultimately it's, it's so pure and positive too. And we need some of that last, last week you were not here, Brad, but we had a state of industry address on our podcast and it was full of cynicism and darkness. So we need some rays of sunshine. So Brad, I want to talk to you a little bit about if you are going out there and getting, a, you know, a meeting and you're sitting in a general, you know, as an older writer, you know, do you think this is something where you should just kind of like acknowledge it in the room and kind of call it for what it is and, and see if that kind of clears the air? Or do you think it's best to to not talk about it? It's a, it's a tough question. And it probably depends on if you have an existing relationship with mm. with the person that you're sitting down to meet with anyway because you, you you don't if you don't if you don't know that much about them and you don't have anything to say I would almost say it's I, I wouldn't bring it up I wouldn't make it a thing okay um, solely because you don't you don't know what that person is thinking you don't know how they're coming into the meeting and if it's not a reason on their mind if it's not a concern of theirs you've just made it a reason you just you just brought it up as something oh well maybe I should maybe I should think this over but if it, you know, for instance, if I ever found myself pitching to or in front of that manager from Austin, who I know has this perspective, has, has this perspective, then I would probably broach it more, be more willing to bring it up and and address it in the room and be like, I know that there's this perspective out there, but here's why that's a load of bullshit and, and, and go into the rest of the meeting. That's fair. Uh, you know, I had a meeting recently, like last year, where I was meeting with a rep, very nice person, uh, you know, I'm not here to like insult them or anything. But they're the age of my stepdaughter. And yeah, and so I, I, I caught myself starting to talk to them like they're my kid. And I don't know really if they started talking to me like I was their mom or I started first. But I think for me, it gave me a, like after the meeting, I was like, whoa, we probably both need therapy. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, I have mom vibes now, I realize. And, and it, it, but, but it, you know, you don't hire your mother 
to write a screenplay. And so obviously we, our relationship didn't work out. My daughter is still happy with me as a person. So that's fine. But business wise, you don't hire your parent because, you know, usually they don't know you get you or you have your own issues that you're in LA for anyway. So it's I so think gorgeous, for me, Bobby, why you wear your hair and your face? You should yes, let people yes, love exactly. you, Bobby. That's exactly what I said. Um, <laughs> no, so so I, I realized in the meeting that I had to be careful and not make them feel like an, an, like an inexperienced kid, you know? So I found that I could direct more questions instead of like, oh, I've done this and this and this in the industry, more of like being excited for them and where they're going with their career and... Definitely like not scaling back, but being careful about what stories I told because one, you know, made me sound like, ah, I've been here forever, you know, taking a drag of a cigarette, you know? So I, I realized for me in those meetings, I, I kind of want to just focus on their new steps in their career and my work and not so much about me personally, because I think that's where we got it got too rapport and, and then I wasn't seen um, potentially as a, as a business candidate. Which is where the focus should always be, right? Right, the, right. The story and the work and the idea. And if you have a good take and your writing is, is good, then you're that, good. That's it. That, then you're good. Exactly. That's, <laughs> exactly. That's all, that, that's all that should matter. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, they always say when you when you have a meeting, you know, rapport, have stuff that you're interested in, but it can go too far where suddenly you're not, you know, the, the professionalism kind of breaks down. Well, yeah, and I think there's, you know, I mean, even my story from earlier when we were talking about, like, when I first kind of realized that screenwriting was a thing and, that in, you know, you, there are certain people where that's going to turn them off because, there you see it online there was a thing going around of, i think it went quasi-viral or whatever but like you know kids are talking about the late 1900s <laughs> you know and and stuff like that so if you start talking to someone who's 28 years old about this thing that you did in the early 90s then like that might not be the right story for that audience. So knowing knowing your audience and keeping the focus on on the work and the story is is fantastic. Advice. Exactly. Do we? Do you think we are ready for signature questions, Rob? Sounds like do, it. Do, okay. So this is about you, Brad, because you're a writer as well, and we want to shout out you and your work. So do you? Well, Rob, you asked the first question. You always ask the first question. Why am I right. jumping the gun? So, Brad, do you like writing? Because, you know, you know, as an older writer, you know, it you may have lost, you know, your passion for the the for the actual writing of it, but maybe you like having written. Maybe that's what it is. But do you like the the act of writing, Brad? I tend to answer this question the same way I answer, do you like exercising? Which is <laughs> I, I I do not like writing, but I love having written and the, the process of getting words on the page is, is something I'm good at, but it's not something I enjoy at the during the time. But when I go back, so like that first draft is not a lot of fun, but I, I really enjoy rewriting and shaping and editing and and polishing and, and that part of the process. That's fair. That's fair. I think it's always better once you see, you know, because the first draft is like 
giving birth. It's an ugly baby covered in fluids. But babies get really cute once you clean them up a little bit. They 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 kill on Facebook. You know, you 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 can't go wrong with that. But okay, so second question is do you outline or do you write by the seat of your pants? Meaning you kind of explore and discover while you're writing. I outline, but I do not, I'm not a, and everyone's got their, their own way of doing it that works for them. And that's what's awesome. But I'm not one of those, I've got a 30 page outline people or like you know where it's essentially a treatment that or scriptment yeah yeah everything but the dialogue right or something like that but i i do like to go through and have two or three pages just like bullet pointed this is the flow of my story this is my these are my act breaks this is my opening image this is my closing image here's where i can work the b story in mostly because I my time is limited and I don't have a lot of of you know just open windows to do stuff. So if I have that outline, I know where I know my roadmap and I can I can get into writing easier. And I'm also one of those people that loves the feeling of crossing something off a list. Nice. So being yeah. able to 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 finish a day or finish a week and say, I've finished with this sequence and crossing it off. And then I can see the mo- the momentum uh, and the progress that's being made. That helps me keep moving forward as well. So. Excellent. Rob, that means that Brad is on my team. Yep. Brad 100% is his team Not even considering the pants, man. 2024 has is, is been like a rough year for team pants so far. It's It's been, it's been uh, a little disheartening. That's fine. You'll get the next one. You'll get the next one. Now it doesn't even feel good to beat you. That's how bad 2024 has been for you. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, <laughs> just think, taking like straight L. I don't think this is like a third or fourth outliner in a row. It's crazy. It's I, I will say if it makes March. me feel any better, Rob, that I'm I'm jealous of the people who can, who can write without without an outline. I'm just not one of them. Will you Whoa. take that? Well, that does that ameliorate? Sure. Well, I've I've got my own okay. victories this week at where I'm, I'll talk about that in the next section. Well, let's jump into the next section. What are we watching and writing this week, Rob? Let's let's hear that victory. Well, I'm I'm still watching Bones, and I this is something that I noticed about Bones, like it's. In terms of a television show, I think it's part of that last bastion of network television shows that were created in the infancy of the streaming model. And mm-hmm. while streaming came to prominence afterwards, I think the perfect sort of network model that sort of fits that can work for a week to week model as well as a binging model is something like Suits. Suits, I think, one of the reasons that I, I I think that it was so beloved is because it has mastered the network binging balance, where the characters are written so that they are still, they are acknowledging the character journeys and traumas that are happening week to week. Like, there's never a point where we don't feel like the story, what happened last week, has weight and bearing on this week's story. But at the same time, it's able you're able to come to any episode of Suits and sort of understand 
what the show is, how the show flows, and and get into it. No matter if you, you come into episode three of season five, you can still come in and go, wow, this is a great show, and go back and rewatch in order. Bones <laughs> has is very much in that last bastion of of like week to week. There's an episode in the first season where one of the characters, Angela, they have to her boyfriend gets murdered. Like brutally murdered. Bummer. And and then yeah. they have to solve this murder. And then next week it's just like she's like back at work. Everything's fine. There's no like, man, Angela, so sorry about your boyfriend. Like I know like <laughs> or should you even be here working on these dead people? Like, I know that your boyfriend just, maybe you should take some time where you could, you know, where you sort of process. Nope, you're good. You're just kind of, we're just drawing faces on dead people again. Okay, that's great. Great, 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 great. Love it. There's just, you know what I mean? It's It doesn't necessarily, it's too much. And the 22 episodes, as much as people love it, it's just, there are just, there are too many episodes per season. Suits, again, has 16. I think that's perfect for a network show. I think it's perfect for because everybody gets an episode or or two episodes, depending on how big your writer's room is. I think you can have a decent sized writer room. I just think suits in terms of a model and in terms of the way that the the writing, the way the writing is structured for network, for the balance of network and binging is, is perfect. I don't know that I've seen another show sort of master that in a network TV, TV shows kind of situation, but maybe I'm, I'm missing that. You, I mean, that's USA versus like net. I mean, I don't count that as like network. I'm I mean, say. it is though. It's 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 there. It's got commercials. It's built for commercials. It's like it's a whole thing. Mm -hmm. It's a five act structure or six act structure. I, like I only had network television growing up as a child because my family was cheap and <laughs> we didn't have no USA. Yeah. So I just I feel like it, it is it was it was written for commercials, but at the same time it still works as a it, it just it just it's it's the 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 formula perfected, and I just you know it is what it is. But anyway, I still love Bones. It just I wish that there was any kind of like the, the like a point where they just take some time out where they're like I understand that you just went through some heavy shit last week, and it, it's okay if you want to sit this one out, Booth. Temperance, you know what I mean. I know you just were buried alive last week, but it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. But anyway, they're very resilient network right. characters. Twenty-two episodes. They're like, I don't have time to remember that trauma. Right. <laughs> so, but the other thing is is uh, going to the Dasher Corner, and this is the victory that I found out this week. I've been doing this whole thing where I've been stuck in Chapter Two for a minute. And I've been trying to get, I was going to see if I could dig myself out by printing out chapters one and two, and then printing and then copying, pasting the papers into a notebook and then writing the rest of the book by hand. But when I got all of my things out from my notes app where I've been writing the book, and this is part of the whole process where I've been writing it in my notes app and then copying and pasting into fade in and then using fade in in order to turn it into a real book. But when I got it into fade in, I realized that I'd written 40 pages in my phone. And wow. so I was like, I've never even, I, I haven't heard a lot of writers claim to have written 40 pages in their phone. 
And so I was like, you know what? Fuck it if it ain't broke. So I've decided to continue to write this book in my phone. And that knowing that I had written 40 pages in my phone in the most schizophrenic manner where I have like I have pieces of chapters three and four already. And I have like a section where I'm just like, I don't know where this goes, but it's going somewhere. And then I'm like, this is going after this where I have little notes where like it's like got a header be like this is going somewhere. And then just being able to write it in that way and then being like, oh, I know. OK, it's time for this section to go and then I'll copy and paste it where it needs to go. And so I've been doing that. And like I said, it, it, it's working. So I I just that clicked and I immediately started writing. I'm one scene now away from finishing chapter two. And I'm so excited about this book. And I'm really I've really started to dig into the characters I was surprised that I thought I would be meeting a certain character in chapter two, but it turned out not that turned out not to be the case. So I guess that's now chapter three. So um, I'm looking forward to the book as it goes along. There was another character that I thought was going to be a minor character, but I ended up really loving them when I started writing. I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. So just, I'm really enjoying the world. I'm really getting enmeshed in this Dasher thing. I actually think I have a chance to finish it now. So I'm 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 doing it. Good. I'm doing it in my phone. All of our listeners are counting on you. You have to finish it by by what, July? July first. July first, it has to be done. And Fade In will give you two free copies of Fade In for us to give away if you finish this book. That's true. So and if not, then it. I will give you two free copies. I want to buy them. So I'm on the hook. So you folks who are rooting for my failure, whoever's got the pool, I know you. some of you are working with Tuxford. I know you are out there. I know I'm you're not, out there. I don't want you to fail. I don't want you to fail. I want you to succeed. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm, it's going to happen, you guys. Pantsing ways, yes. <laughs> so, Brad, okay. what are you writing, consuming, watching this week? Well, I'm not doing much writing this week because I'm working on the gray list because we're getting close to that. But uh, I am trying to get some pages done on my latest work in progress. It's a crime drama feature. So trying to move that forward at least a little bit so that I continue to have momentum on that while we get the gray list ready to, to get across the finish line. In terms of what I'm watching, we are currently, my family's currently going through Peaky Blinders. Oh. Uh, I'm, we are... We last night we just started season four, so we're we've crossed the halfway point. We're we're going on the downward slope, and just couldn't love it more. I'm absolutely I love this kind of story and this kind of world. And Kelly Murphy is is and deserves all the things. That's all I've got to really say about it. I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. I'll bring us home. I'll bring us home. So I didn't get much writing writing done this week because I was working on the Netflix. Proof of Concept Accelerator, which was due last night. I did turn it in. Very proud. It's basically uh, if if they pick you, which I'm sure, you know, there's lots of wonderful candidates. But if they pick you, you get fifty thousand dollars to shoot your proof of concept. And I like money, so I. And they were looking for stories about women, LGBT, non-binary folk, and I was like, I like those things too. So uh, I have a story I I'm pitching to them about a poly triad living together while they go to college, and one member gets pregnant, and they just have to decide 
if they're going to have a baby or not together. And so it's a simple drama. Most of it takes place in one house, one location. But, you know, dramas, since the locations are simple, you can tell really complex, emotional, dramatic stuff. So so sent all that in and fingers crossed and see I watched the new Taylor Tomlinson special which I recommend I she's so also funny. she's so, she's so funny and I just feel like if I ever met her she would eviscerate me and I'd be like do it again I'd be she's like wow so, she's just so funny she really is she's like I, I discovered her via YouTube shorts and I've just been obsessed and I you know the once you sort of pick things up and then I, I kept getting more of her stuff suggested to me via the algorithm. And I just, I'd laugh all the time. She's just so fucking funny. And she has a, she, she took over at midnight and that's pretty great too. Especially if you like that, like a game show points don't matter, jokey format. And yeah, so I'm enjoying that. And also my partner, Ben is now finally, he, um, he had open heart surgery back in November and so he is now fully healed enough that we get to go back to the movie theater. You know, first when he just got out of surgery, he couldn't sit for that long. But the movie he's picking to watch for our Tuesday cheap movie night next week is Argyle. Ooh. So I'm going to allow it. He picked it. So uh, I'm excited. I am. I am excited. Are you? Um, yeah, so that's what, that's what I'm doing this week. And then the next thing is I have another application for Thread and Peel's Monkey Paw that's due by the end of the month. So I'm going to put uh, my horror short, horror project, Feed Fifi, make a short version of it. So Rob, I'll be probably sending you some pages. Yeah, we're yeah. this application season. Season. The season yeah. to, 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 to do the, the applications. <sighs> It is. It you is. do them. Um, you get them out there, and there's a bunch of free ones that just go back to our catalog, and we tell you all about them. So go. We love the free stuff. stuff. Also, there's a well. Okay, we're gonna do the this week's resource, but this week's resource is the gray list, of course. Natch. Uh, Check. The newest one is gonna come out on the 27th of February, right? Right. Yeah, Tuesday the 27th. And I'll change the link when it comes out, but well, I will link you to the current gray list. Where there's some stuff. I'm on the current list or last year's list. And oh, right, with American Monster. With That's American right. Monster, yep. And so there's, you know, there's good stuff in there. And, you know, when the new list comes out, I will relink it. But there's also something there, I don't know. I got this sent to me. It's not necessarily free, but it's, it's not, it's, there's a contest like a Smod Castle contest where you kevin smith has uh got a contest going on where it's based on that line from clerks where it's like my girlfriend sucked 37 dicks in a row and so mm -hmm. there's a 37 hour contest that's happening in march and you have 37 hours to write shoot and edit a movie and the fee to enter such a contest is also $37. So I don't feel like that's really cost prohibitive. And you get from like, uh, I think it's like 10 a.m. March 9th to maybe 12 a.m. March 10th to finish the film. And mm -hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, and it's got to be it's for you. The film can only be four minutes and thirty seconds long, and the prize is that you get screened at Smod Castle, uh, in New Jersey, and where Kevin Smith will obviously be in attendance. So you'll be amongst, you know, your peers, who are also you know all the winners will be screened, and you'll be probably share a stage with the man himself, and. I, I watch a movie with Ke watch a movie that I made with Kevin Smith, and then have Kevin Smith talk to me about. Yes, please, we'll do it. Fantastic! I think I'm gonna have to do this one, K Tuxford. I don't have a lot of wow. time, but like you know, I can take 37 hours of my time. That's the thing that I like you about can it. Do 30, it. Yeah, you 37 hours of my time too. in a row. You spend an hour shooting, and then yeah. Yeah, and then just edit and then, you know, get it out there and then you have to transfer it to a Dropbox via WeTransfer or something like and all the other things. But like I said, $37, 37 hours, and then it's over. So it's not like a thing that I have to really prepare for. So I, I'm, I'm thinking about doing this one because it, it sounds like a lot of fun. And like I said, if, even for the, the remote possibility that I might share a, st a stage with with the man himself. I'll I'll do it. You I, gotta I, do it. You yeah. Gotta do for 37 it. bucks. Right. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Damn it. Well now now I want to do it. You you made it sound good. And then that also gives me a chance to like outfilm you and steal your glory, which yeah. always that appeals would, to me. You know what? That would make me so Healthy sad, but I'll be so happy for you at the same time. If like we both submitted it and I didn't get it, but you did, I'd be like, I love you so much. I hate you, but I love you so much. Thank you. It's all good. Tell them I said hi. So I don't know. I'm gonna. I don't think. I think. I don't think I can. Okay. I don't think I can ignore this one, K Tuxford. So uh, there will be a link to right. the the thing in the show notes. So that's also one of our resources for the week. And that is our show. And that's our show. Yeah, screenwriting from the trenches can currently be found on Amazon, Anchor, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and Spotify podcasts, as well as KevinOMartin.com. Our screenwriting Twitter drama theme song was written by Zach Morrison, and it was used with his permission. And hey, we'd appreciate it if you dropped us a like or rated us five stars on whatever platform that you patronize. Why, Kate Tuxford? Algorithms. For questions for us that we can and will answer on the show, please email us at robertbmofo.net. You can find us on the Twitters. I am at BespectacledMofo. I'm at K underscore Tux. Brad, what are you on the Twitters? I'm at RWW Film. And Zach is at Zach Morrison18. And these things, as well as my YouTube channel series, where the Cinema Challenge series is getting a kick in the pants because we finally finished our $1,000 movie. And <laughs> we'll, we'll be spending the rest of the year. Besides the 37 hours that we'll spend doing the smike castle, the you know, then getting ready for that. So all of that will be linked in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that you will continue to do so. Now, stop procrastinating. Those pages aren't gonna write themselves. Brad. Brad, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, oh, thank you so much. It's it was it was a ton of fun. It's uh it, it was a nice to see you guys interact the last time it was it was great doing it with rob but it's fun to watch you guys bounce off each other hey, rob's uh wife who's the producer on this is always like i love it when Kay argues with her have her argue with you more <laughs> so you know i take that note very seriously
Yeah, I mean, you guys should both do this Kevin Smith thing and like document it on the show. I it should be. Might. It should. It should be a. It should contest between the two of you. Yeah. Thirty-seven yeah. hours with Rob and Kay in a row. That's cool. <laughs> live stream it. Have some. <laughs> well, yeah, the first hours just the writing. Where I'm like, Ugh. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like it. <laughs>